0: dr. Jason Lancaster
1: we're glad you're worshiping with us online but I don't know about you but I am ready for us to be worshiping back together and many of you are wondering just like me when is that going to happen well as elders we are looking toward the governing officials to give us a timing and guidelines on when we can be back together and, and once they give the green light we are going to prayerfully and carefully consider when we can come back together what that would look like so that we can ensure your safety and the safety of others but but we're just praying right now for wisdom and discernment and it's 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 time to get back together but I'm gonna be patient and wait for the green light from the government, and we'll work together and hopefully be back together sooner than later. Pray for our governing officials. This is a tough time for them. They're making a lot of big decisions. Pray also for our health care workers. It's, it's difficult to be in that job even before all this struck. Uh, I was looking at some, some jobs that have a, a, a huge dropout rate in general, and healthcare workers is one, it's a difficult job. Another industry that tends to have a, a huge dropout rate is the hospitality industry and also the entertainment industry. And unfortunately, the ministry is ginormous dropout rate. I've heard a statistic that said nine out of ten pastors that graduate from seminary do not retire as pastors so that means nine out of ten drop out where only one finishes all the way to the end and retires as a pastor and a lot of denominations a lot of organizations know this and what they try to do is they write books they put on conferences and they're trying to create resiliency in their pastors And they've sent me to a variety of those conferences and I've had a chance to teach younger pastors about perseverance and and resiliency so that we can have a resilient ministry and continue on. But, But all of us want to develop perseverance and resiliency in this life. For those of you who are parents, maybe stuck at home with kids, you need some perseverance. You want to be a resilient parent. And even grandparents, it can be tough dealing with your grandchildren and you want to be a resilient grandparent. All of us want this perseverance, this resilience as we follow Jesus and we have a variety of responsibilities. So how do we get it? I think the root and the foundation of resiliency comes from something that I want to call resilient joy. Resilient joy. That means no matter what is going on circumstantially, no matter what is going on in our experiences, we can have a deep-rooted joy in Jesus that enables us to press on. It's a resilient joy that is not based upon circumstances, and yet it is sustainable no matter what is going on it's this kind of joy that the apostle paul had the apostle paul was chained in prison to guards he was being abandoned by a lot of believers in the church he's facing trial and likely execution and yet he is abounding with this resilient joy And it's the joy that he wants for believers, specifically the believers in Philippi. And he writes them this letter that is just blowing up with joy and rejoicing, and he wants that for them, and God wants that that joy for us as well. So this morning, in our brief time together, we're going to look at this resilient joy and we're going to break it down kind of into four categories, and we're going to see how the Apostle Paul expressed this joy and fueled it in a variety of ways. Joy can be expressed and fueled in a variety of ways. It can be expressed and fueled in our thankful prayers, our gospel partnership, our affectionate heart, and our discerning love. So let's get pumped. We're about to study the Word of God. We're going to talk about joy overflowing. So let's get excited. We're getting in the Word of God. You're at home. I'm here. Let's do this. Let's start with thankful prayers, starting in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verses 3 and 4. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. This is Paul, chained up, many have bailed on him, and yet he is thanking God in all remembrance of the Philippians. Remember, this is a church he started 10 years earlier. It's made up of a, a wealthy a woman who was part of the core team and her <laughs> Her, uh, household Also, a girl probably had a demon cast out of her. She's probably part of the core team too, right? Uh, they being in the church in the Philippian jailer and his household. That was the start of the church plant. And as Paul remembers this church, they have a special place in his heart. And they're not perfect. They got some issues. They got some conflict. But as Paul remembers them, he is thankful. But notice what he says and prays in verse 4. Look at it again. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. That's amazing. Paul has many struggles in his life, but he's thankful for them and he prays with joy. It's a joy that's not based upon circumstances. It's a, boy, it's a joy that's at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ. It's a joy that's sustainable in Christ. It's a joy that is being a part of the body of Christ and seeing it flourish and grow. And Paul is praying for them with joy if you're lacking joy and consumed with your circumstances one of the ways that you can get your joy back and even fuel your joy and express your joy is by praying for others that's what paul's doing here he's praying for the church he's thankful and joyful in his prayers You see, when you you pray, you get your mind off yourself and you come to the Father and you intercede for other people through Jesus Christ. You can be thankful for them. You can pray for their deliverance. You can pray for their healing. But you see how we can start to pray for others to the Father, get our eyes off what's going on here, and it can fuel our joy as we express joy in our prayers for others. But not only that, Paul has a joy here that he is expressing as he prays for others. But he also fuels his joy when he thinks about the gospel partnership he is in with the Philippians. Look at this missional gospel partnership. Look at verses 5 and 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of christ jesus you see they have this participation in the gospel In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now see paul and the philippians are participating together in this gospel work since the first day when he planted that church with that core team he is seeing the gospel abound he is expressing joy in this partnership in the gospel and get this he says god started that work in you and I'm confident that God will finish that work until the day of Christ Jesus because what God starts, he will finish. So Paul has this joy in the work that started in Philippians. God is going to finish it until the day of Christ. He's going to carry it on in every believer. And in the meantime, while we're journeying through this life, following Jesus, there can be joy in gospel partnership. Joy when we work together and we see the gospel abound and expand in missions, in church planning, but also when we see people come to Jesus. Do you guys remember, about a year ago, uh, over a special weekend in May, we saw like 20 people get baptized, giving their testimonies about what Jesus has done in their life, and they are baptized? How much joy did we have that day? It was overflowing. It was abounding. It's because we're seeing the kingdom work in people's lives. And this is a joy that can continue as we partner with one another to see the gospel abound internationally, nationally, and locally here in the village. We can fuel our joy as we work together to see the gospel get out. Well, Paul, as he continues on here, he's not just talking about uh, praying with joy and gospel partnership. He talks about his heart, his affectionate heart. Look at Paul's heart for the Philippians in verses 7 and 8. Look at verses 7 and 8. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me, for God is my witness. How long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus? Paul may be in jail, but the Philippians are in his heart. What a heart he had for them. He says, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul had a heart for the churches, for the people in the churches. Paul even had a heart for the difficult churches. Remember the church at, at Corinth? Paul's like, I'm, I'm opening my heart wide to you, and I want you to open your heart wide to me. And, and when I read Paul sometimes, I'm like, man, how do you do that? How do you love difficult people? How do you press on with resiliency in difficult relationships? How did the apostle Paul continually and consistently love other people? And I think one of the ways that we can think about this and and the difficulties that Paul had in the churches that many pastors have in the churches, that many people have in the churches, Alistair Begg, he says it like this about the ministry. He says, the cycle... Of pastoral ministry. First, they idolize you. Next, they criticize you. Finally, they ostracize you. The cycle often repeats itself. Many pastors have felt this, and I felt this. It can make you bitter. It can make you callous. Instead of saying, I have you in my heart, you say, I have you on my nerves. Rather than saying, I'm going to love you, we kind of say, I'm just going to put up with you. Not just in ministry, but in parenting and grandparenting, I don't have you on my heart, I have you on my nerves. So how did the Apostle Paul continue to consistently show affection for the churches? And one of the ways I think it can be expressed is that He had thick skin and a soft heart. Thick skin and a soft heart. Is that people were saying things about him, attacking him, and he just keeps moving closer and closer to them, praying for them, loving them, interceding for them. Because what I want to do when people are coming at me is I just want to run the other direction. And yet Paul keeps moving toward them closer and closer. And closer and as he does this, his joy abounds. Not every relationship is reconciled, not everything is fixed. The churches don't become perfect, but he has joy in moving closer and closer to people instead of running away. I think the same can be the case for us. Joy can abound as we're, we're with our brothers and sisters. Even our difficult brothers and sisters. Because guess what? We are all difficult brothers and sisters. But we want to keep moving toward one another and our joy can abound as we have one another on our hearts. And lastly, Paul talks about this discerning love. This discerning love can fuel joy. Look at verses 9 through 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is Paul's prayer for their love to abound in knowledge with a certain amount of discernment. You see, there's a lot of things we can do for others where we think that we're loving them, but are we truly loving them the way they need to be loved? That's where we need knowledge and discernment that comes from the Lord so that we can love one another in the right ways. As we are filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes from Jesus Christ. May our love at BBC abound in knowledge and discernment. May our love be directed by the Word of God. And may our love be directed by the Holy Spirit by doing those things which is best. I want to share with you something I learned recently about four hindrances that can keep you from enjoyable relationships or four hindrances to this abounding love. Because we're talking about joy, we're talking about relationships, and here are some hindrances or some mindsets that we can bring to the table that can hurt our relationships and hurt our joy with others within the body of Christ. So let me share with you these four hindrances that will keep you from enjoyable relationships. Number one sensationalism sensationalism many people think that the church should be some big circus it can't be boring ever 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 it's all about the new the next the grand sensational but in reality when we get together as a body of christ it's really about lowly acts of service Even hidden acts of love where we endure, we persevere, and we love one another for the long haul. It's not some big show. We're living together as a family of God. Another hindrance to our love, another hindrance that can keep us from enjoyable relationships, is this idea of mysticism. Mysticism. And this one drives me nuts. When people come along and they think the body of Christ is all about me and Jesus. It's all about me and Jesus. You're in a body of Christ. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about we and Jesus. We and Jesus. We're, we're a body. We care for one another. We, we worship. We get in the Word. And we love one another. We do this together in community. Now, a third hindrance to love and enjoyable relationships is idealism idealism that the church should be perfect almost like a paradise that nothing can ever go wrong that people won't ever have issues but that's not reality we're not home yet we're not in heaven yet and until then we're going to be living with one another bearing with one another and enduring with one another because we are broken people who are coming together for healing in Christ. And the fourth and last hindrance to this joy in relationships, enjoyable relationships, is something called individualism. Individualism. And to me, this is the biggest hindrance to abounding love, where people show up to church and they're like, meet my needs. And when they leave the church, they'll say, you know that pastor? He did not meet my needs. That church, they didn't give me a call. That church, they didn't check on me. It's all about me, me, me. Individualism. And once again, we're a body of Christ. We want to function as a body. We're not perfect. We're broken. But we want to be in each other's lives as best as we can and care for one another. Not in some utopia sense, but we want to get, get past thinking everything has to be perfect and set up just right for you. When we're in a community together, So keep these hindrances in mind and just check your heart and say, okay, am I allowing my mindset or my ideals of the church to to wreck my joy in the Lord? You know something really cool? I've heard it said before that the happiest man in Rome was in jail. The happiest man in Rome was in jail. Rome was a place where you could have anything, where you could have abundance of overflowing pleasures of the world and yet you have this man named paul he's in jail and he's happy <laughs> he's overflowing with joy and he's fueling it he's expressing it he, he's expressing it. he's like you know i have you in my heart i have joy he's like i have joy and praying for your discerning love I have joy in this gospel partnership. I have joy in interceding for you with thankful prayers. And it's a wonderful to see a life transformed by the gospel that even in a jail cell facing trial and execution, there is joy overflowing in Jesus and joy overflowing in thinking about his brothers and sisters in Christ. I want that. Too many times I let my circumstances dictate my joy in the Lord. I don't know about you, but that is getting old. That is getting old. I've been a Christian long enough to know that I don't need to let what's going on. Other people stealing my joy or trying to. Circumstances stealing my joy or trying to. I want some resilient joy in Jesus. Not for happiness sake, because I want to know Christ. And I look at Paul, and I think about his life and the lifestyle he was living. And I I could summarize it by saying, Paul was living the I'm third lifestyle. The I'm third lifestyle. I learned this idea many years ago when I was a counselor at Canica Camp in Missouri. And my my children go there, and they're learning about this I'm third lifestyle, which which is God first, others second, and yourself third. The idea is that, hey, you are here to bring glory to God in all that you do. And you want to consider others better than yourself. You not only wanna look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. But see, joy can be lacking when you set God aside, or you don't know him. Joy can be lacking when you put your knees front and center. Joy can be lacking when it's all about you and your issues and your problems and not others. And along comes Paul, overflowing with joy. Why? God, front and center. Give glory to him through Jesus Christ. Others, second, he is there to love them and serve them. And consistently, Paul is putting himself third. And I look at him and I go, you know, I want that kind of joy. I want that joy in Christ that is sustainable and not circumstantial. And that can be expressed and it can be fueled as we care for one another pray for one another, work together for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and continue to consistently give glory to God in all that we do. And by God's grace, we will have a resilient and overflowing joy.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way guided by God's Word.